0: Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And today we have a couple of special guests with us because we're going to talk about science in Supergirl and neither of us are science people, so we needed help. <laughs> so we have with us, you'll know Ultranos on Tumblr. Hi,
1: also known as Nas. I'm a mechanical engineer. I do robots. I've done electromechanical work, but I've also, you know, spent time in a lot of bio labs and kind of been all over the board.
0: Cool. And then we also have
2: I am an evolutionary matter on Tumblr. I guess I'm a people doctor, so a lot of people tell me their problems, and then I try to to help them out with that. (laughs) But not a
0: psychologist. But not a psychologist. So by people doctor, you mean actual doctor. Uh, Actual MD doctor. Cool. So one of the things that at least I've always thought is really cool in the show is the fact that we have so many different female characters who are in professions that tend to be more male-dominated. So, you know, you have, like, Kat as the head of a big company. You have Alex as a doctor and then also the person who's second in command and now the commander of this, like, paramilitary organization. You have Lena, doing all these cool engineering things and running a company. So as far as you guys are concerned, since these are closer to your professions, what do you think so far about kind of what you've seen portrayed on screen? Like, is it somewhat accurate? Is it a change from what you usually see on TV as far as the way women are portrayed in their careers, etc.?
2: I mean, I think it's very different because... Obviously, this show is unique in that it is a show primarily about females and their relationships. I mean, there's obviously important males there too, but it focuses on that more than most TV shows normally do. But it's also like a science fiction show, so I can't be like, oh, it's going to be medically accurate or (laughs) be representative of what I do day-to-day in the hospital because that's not where they're practicing. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I always kind of remember it as, whenever I'm watching it, as this is a comic book TV show. So I am never going to expect the science or the engineering to be anywhere close to... If, if it gets to within, like, the same zip code of realistic, I'm usually happy. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so it's more of, I generally look for, is it actually female characters kind of feeling... At home and finding fulfillment in kind of being able to do the cool science things. And I, I think, in that respect, it is good and it is really valuable and it's something I wish I had as a kid. Mm-hmm.
3: Speaking of sort of comic book science and the way that fiction handles science. There's this trope called the omnidisciplinary scientist in which you have a scientist character who the piece of fiction never clearly defines what they're capable of. And I thought we could go through the characters and sort of try to suss out what their specialties actually are um, and whether or not it falls
0: into that category. Okay, We'll start with the one that confuses the most people because the show confused a, a lot of people with it, I think. So Dr. Dr. Alex Danvers, maybe?
2: <laughs> I, I, as much as I love Alex Danvers, I think that she could be potentially a PhD, but I don't think she's actually an MD. Like in, in the real world, she wouldn't have had the time to do so. Um, it's just impossible with the way that like kind of medical school is set up
1: (laughs) i have to actually agree there i mean i've i've looked a number of times at various programs to try and figure out exactly how in god's name alex could have managed to do all that they have said that she would have done in the amount of time that she could have done it yeah it was
0: only like six years yeah
2: Yeah, she was 17 in Midvale. Yeah. So she goes to three to four years of undergraduate. And then medical school, you don't cut corners there. It's four years, no matter what. You have to do two preclinical years and then two clinical years. I think I'm getting the timeline right. John came to her and tried to recruit her to the DEO about... While she was still
0: taking classes, she wasn't even... So she wasn't
2: even in clinical years yet, which means that like clinical years, you're working the same number of hours as residents do. So you could be working about 80 hours a week. Oh my God. I don't really think you could do a full-time job on top of that. But a PhD is possible because she could have done research while at the DEO if she did DEO related research and her advisor allowed her to do that.
0: Well, and in terms of the the overlap, I mean, I obviously don't know the medical side, but I do know the like law enforcement side in terms of that timeline. And when you're doing that training, you're lucky if you're allowed to like call home. Like you can't leave while you're there, so it seems pretty impossible to do both at the same time. A great cover story for Alex, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that she was supposed to do it two years before uh, the start of season one mm-hmm. and so the timeline is already pretty tight the thing is is that I know you can do an MD-PhD, and the length of a PhD really depends on what field you're in and what your research topic is. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, engineering-ish PhDs, like four or five-ish years is about the average. Bio-based ones are about average is about seven. I mean, this is plus or minus whatever.
2: MD-PhDs typically take seven years because they'll do two years of preclinical and. During those two years of preclinical, you're also starting your research portion of it, three years of dedicated research, and then two years of clinical after. And so this isn't even including residency for her. It would make sense if she had finished medical school and done a residency at a military-affiliated hospital, because that would be service and would also service her training. But obviously, this doesn't fit with her timeline either.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like sort of they've realized that and have like kind of tried to e- explain it because you saw you know, the flash in season one, where it was very clear that she was like burned out because she was like trying to do too much school all at once which, you know, you could always argue is like, maybe she tried to speed through undergrad to save time. And then you had her talking with Sam in season three about she was originally just doing research. She never mentioned like actually doing any clinical experience, which then I was like, you're drawing blood and you don't do this often. That's going to
1: hurt. Like So when I was in college, you could volunteer to go through EMT training. Mm-hmm. And all of the EMTs were student volunteers. And so a lot of people did that to get the experience to then, you know, get into medical school later. So if you wanted that kind of experience on your CV, or whatever he did that as an activity so you know i could see her getting that kind of like the hands-on part right, the hands-on part because we've never actually seen alex do anything that wasn't outside the really the realm of paramedic mm-hmm. ability like we've never seen her actually scrub up to do surgery we've seen her do sutures and draw blood and that kind of thing Intubation, intubation which is all like paramedic
2: you can intubate as a paramedic but not an EMT they're actually a little bit different yeah. Um, but yeah they're all within that kind of a paramedic would still require some extra training but they' all are within that scope I think it was more when she was directing the cyanide overdose that I was kind of like hmm, I don't know if you should be doing that but
0: you know <laughs> it was a really yeah. important emergency. <laughs> yeah. No one else is around.
1: No one else is like, I that was a little hand wavy. And I guess you could probably go emergency director protocols. Bleh. I don't know, you might be able to make that argument. But that like, that's the one instance where I'm like, mm, I don't know if Alex actually has the experience to have had that authority.
3: Well, speaking of um, medical experience and, and what people should be doing, <laughs> yeah. we have Lena Luther, who, as far as we know, seems to have like kind of an engineering background, but then is doing very medical
0: things.
2: You know what plays in my mind when I think of it? It's, you know, at the end of like TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they have that Dan Gore thing that says, not a doctor. That's what I think of every time. (laughs) She just clearly doesn't have the training because it's not, she just doesn't have her like necessary like bedside medical supplies. or Bedside manner. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Bedside manner. You must stay here no matter what. Uh, The
1: thing is, is that Lena, just by having watched what she seems to be most comfortable working with in terms... Of projects in like lab procedures and whatnot. Um, I've kind of come to the conclusion that her specialty, if you would, might be more on lines of mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. Historically, mechanical engineering is the kind of catch all engineering. Like a lot of things used to fall under mechanical that then eventually grew out into its own thing. So you can kind of start in mechanical and then go into any place from there. Which is useful if
3: you're on a television show and have to do a lot of different things. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, that's super useful. And I mean, knowing that Lena went to MIT, I can tell you exactly how she would have done X, Y, and Z and gotten all of that experience. And why can you tell us that? Uh, because not only did I go to MIT, based on the timeline for the show, I would have attended there as a student, and then worked there as staff during the entire time period she would have, in theory, been there.
0: Cool. So what you're saying is Lena is very clearly in the engineering camp and... Should not ever be a doctor.
1: Oh, not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that she's clearly in, in the engineering camp and has actually clearly never gone through some of the training that somebody that is used to bio safety would have gone through. Like I had to go through training for, for example, bloodborne pathogens for a lab. Yes.
2: Oh, it's my favorite yearly training. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> Lena, like there are some basic things that you absolutely have to do when you're dealing with that kind of thing, just basic safety procedures. And Lena just, the lab was not set up for that. Mm-hmm. And that'll inform um, some of the ethical
3: questions that we have about Lena that we'll talk about a little bit later.
1: Yeah. And and it's not actually like necessarily her fault because the thing is, is that I know about the bloodborne pathogen thing because I worked in a bio lab. If I hadn't had to work in a bio lab, like as a mechanical engineer, I never would have literally had to learn that ever.
2: Her heart is in the right
0: place. She's just kind of overreaching. <laughs> gotcha. All right. We had one more person we have some questions about on our list, which is, Wynn apparently now can do everything. Um, <laughs> he seemed to start out in season one as very specifically like a, a computer science person, and now he invents all of the things
1: so like so i i actually came up with the theory yesterday about this which is exciting (laughs) um because i was looking at all of the things that he's done and there is actually maybe possibly a common theme okay because from between season one to now um he has been mostly doing things with creating like the costumes and the like alex's guns and the shield tech and all of that correct yes which is a lot of materials (laughs) and material engineering correct Okay, none
0: of us know anything. <laughs> We're gonna let you go with it.
1: We'll trust you. But material science and engineering is actually a field, and magnets also fall under this. Oh no way! Yeah, no. A friend of mine got his PhD and worked in magnets, huh. and actually, the same friend got so tired of magnets, he went to go work at Google. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there's your computer. There's your computer science.
3: <laughs> and and when is working at the the Google of the timeline, the future. <laughs> so, one of the burning questions you might have if you're a super girl or superman fan is how their powers work. Or, well, how they might work. Yes. Well, of course, how they might work. Because we know that she gets her powers from the sun. So, is Kara a plant? Kara is not a plant. What? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Life. <laughs> You know, she she needs to be a little more green
3: first, and then we can talk about it. Well,
1: it's the lack of chlorophyll. We'll talk
3: about that later. Kryptonite. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Harsh. Okay,
2: anyway. The common thoughts that a lot of, I think, fandom has is that Car is a plant. She photosynthesizes, which, honestly, I don't think is what what happens. I think if there's anything that's plant-like within her, it would be the way she utilizes light energy. Um, We were talking about this like earlier, but there's things such as photocatalysts and they exist in the real world. They exist in plants. They're part of the reaction that plants use to make energy in order to photosynthesize. So rather than the whole process of photosynthesis, it would make sense if her cells are somehow able to capture this light energy to use for other processes that might explain her superpowers. For example, like if she were to produce some kind of protein or hormone that she wasn't able to access before because they didn't have the energy to do it on planets without that yellow light here on this planet, she can now produce those proteins or hormones and store them for whenever she needs to access her powers. Right. Well, then how
0: would food come into play with all of that? Because Kara does like food, but then does she also need to eat as much as she does? So
2: I will say that I think she has to eat because the alternative to eating that much and not having to use it would be it coming out the other end, (laughs) so to speak. Um, And it would make sense that she needs a lot of. Um, energy for these powers, like if she's accessing these extra proteins or hormones that are going to do processes that expend energy, just like when you exercise, you're going to need to burn extra calories in that way, too. Mm -hmm.
1: Gotcha. And the idea that there are proteins that you can utilize light to activate. I mean, I've, I was talking about this yesterday. We've, we actually use that in engineering. So it's a question of where did that come from? If it was naturally evolved on Krypton or if somebody, some weird Kryptonian scientist engineered that. That's actually an open question.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And it's kind of like, you know, if they, if you're just saying, you know, all building blocks are equal and they've got DNA, like people have lots of junk DNA and enzymes obviously evolve as well as people do. So maybe it's like, it was part of a junk piece of DNA that is now able to be used, or it's a vestigial part of an enzyme that before like had no use or like that part of the enzyme wasn't able to be accessed maybe. And now it is.
1: Yeah. So there is a technique that's used in neuroscience called optogenetics. And it's basically taking a certain protein that is found in algae that kind of, it's the thing that makes algae glow in the dark. Again, like kryptonite. (laughs) (laughs) Except this is blue. And you can take that protein, engineer it into a retrovirus and basically engineer that into cells that eventually show up in neurons in, say, a mouse. And so the trick is, is that these activate when exposed to a certain range of wavelengths that are basically look like blue light. And when I mean activate, I actually just literally mean that they make the cell turn on and off. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is cool because, yeah, you can make a motor neuron turn on and off. So if it's a rat or a mouse or whatever, and you have a motor neuron that makes the rat go left and you activate it, you can suddenly have a rat running around left. And then you turn it off and it stops. Or, more helpfully, if something is having an epileptic seizure, you can turn off that seizure huh. by, you know, flipping the switch. And so the theory here is is that maybe some of Kara's power in the junk DNA, like proteins or whatever, are blocked by this thing that is receptive to the wavelength of the yellow sun, hmm. which, I mean, then fits because when Kara is in places where there is none of that wavelength, she has no powers. It's blocked again. Hmm.
2: I, I will add that I thought about it in terms of like, it's funny because, you know, the second she um, steps onto Slaver's moon, she like loses all her powers, but at night there's no yellow sun. Son, and she still has her powers. And so I think part of that has to be solved by there has to be some sort of at least short term storage process, which she can maybe like get her last burst of power usage before it all goes yeah. away but she needs to build up over the day through the sunlight. The, these like proteins
3: or hormones, whatever, that can, that can access her superpowers. What would happen then with the red sun to make her not be able to access that storage? So
2: red sun and yellow sun have different wavelengths just through the
3: electromagnetic
2: spectrum. So if the receptor or the catalyst has a very specific um, wavelength that it can absorb of light to use as energy, if it's the red sunlight, it won't be the same length as the yellow sunlight. So the red sunlight might hit those enzymes or receptors, but they won't turn on. And so nothing will happen. Whereas when the yellow hits it, it will activate it. And then now you're like, okay, let's get things going. Yeah,
1: Well, it's, ki- it's kind of like you have a key. It's a pattern, essentially, your pattern matching. And it just doesn't fit this correct pattern.
2: It's like a lock, and the red sunlight is the wrong key for that lock, whereas
0: the yellow sunlight will fit that lock well. I feel like Captain America, I understood that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of things that a car would not have experienced on Krypton that change when you move to earth there is kryptonite and that's interesting historically for the supers because it was created out of sort of an anxiety over radiation so my question is does
0: it look like radiation does it look like something else the effect that it has on kryptonians mm, because Kara talked about it in much more detail this season than we've We've seen her deal with the consequences of it before, but she actually articulated Mm -hmm. it this season. So does it sound like radiation or does it seem like it fits better with something else?
2: So, you know, looking at radiation, it can cause some of the symptoms that she's describing. But I think radiation also tends to be more of a long-term effect on um, DNA mutation because effects of radiation... Can cause like nausea, can cause vomiting. But the things that she specifically talks about tends to agree with something more like a neurotoxin with nerve activation. She talks about how her skin is feels like it's going to be seared off her bones, and that can kind of be paralleled with like paresthesias or numbness or tingling. Where she's got nails running through her blood, where she might have muscle aches there, um, and these are all things that will happen if you know you overstimulate a nerve, and then so now you've got all these extra sensations that. Mm-hmm you typically don't have. Your muscles are contracting. Your nerves are kind of going haywire. The room feels like it's spinning because the coordination centers in her brain are kind of being set off when there's not a stimulus there.
0: And it kind of fits more with that picture to me than with radiation. But well, See, now that's interesting to me just on a, like a social level because uh, we've actually seen cases of the use of neurotoxins in the public sphere in the news. And um, specifically, there was a case in, in England around six months ago with a former Russian defector who was attacked. And so that's just intriguing when we know that they have the Red Sun storyline coming up as well. Oh, I never thought of that before. like,
2: I never made that connection between the Red Sun storyline and the kryptonite poisoning. But it will be interesting to see if it's like used more as a targeted attack, I think, against her. Well, and that's certainly
0: how she kind of interpreted it.
2: And I know a lot of people feel like, oh, she's I think Le- Lena said, you know, people are in danger just by being in car accidents. What's this one thing that causes danger to you? And I think it's interesting because that specific targeting of it, as she describes it, is very different danger-wise. Like, yes, you get in a car and you might endanger yourself, but it's not, like, specifically targeted against you, and that feels very personal.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, the thing is, is that the way Car described it, it falls more under biological weapon, mm. and those are actually profound prohibited under um like international law international law um which none of the things lena cited are
2: it would be interesting though like whether or not kara as an alien or i guess as supergirl would fall under mm. the purview
0: of like being protected by international law Quite that the question. is an interesting question yeah it is that maybe season four will explore a little uh, do aliens count under human rights type law Obviously not, because there was trafficking in Season 2, but... (laughs)
1: Yeah, well.
0: But that again,
3: this is a question that sort of places Lena in the role of scientific ethical dilemmas, because (laughs) she's been doing some shady stuff this season. The thing is, because she's a character who is often struggling with morality, and because she's playing with science, we're gonna, I think, see even more questions that pertain to this. At the end of season three, we see her with Harnell, and she's going to experiment on it. And and it's interesting because Horanell is based on black kryptonite, and as I just talked about, kryptonite is sort of a stand-in for the questions of how to handle radiation and the positives and the and the fallouts of it.
1: Well, actually, now that you've pointed that out, and when you pointed out that they're moving into the Red Sun thing, there is a very, very obvious thing that they could draw on, which is Chernobyl. Ah. <laughs>
2: I was also thinking that, you know, with Lena making the lead bomb out of the kryptonite bomb before, you know, obviously there's a consideration of what's best for the greater good and whether or not the black kryptonite is harmful towards someone like the Supers. Would she say, well, it's more important for our world to harness this kind of nuclear energy than it is for you to be a part of this
1: world, too? (laughs) I mean, just in general with Lena, I and I actually really hope season four goes into is that I really enjoy her character as this um, person who wants to do good and make progress for the world, but has this enormous blind spot with certain types of ethics. Hmm. Because in a lot of ways, she is the best parts of Silicon Valley culture. She has the go big or go home, I'm going to change the world drive and capability and smarts of a lot of the best of Silicon Valley set the people who can really do the change. But at the same time, she does have a lot of the arrogance you see in them. All you have to do is look at the news. I mean, I've literally read something about whatever Elon Musk is flailing about today. But the thing is, is that she's not like Elizabeth Holmes. She's not a villain. She's not a fraud or anything like that. She is honestly wants to do the right thing and is not there just for like, self-promotion or whatever as i said she's the best of it as well but she still does have a lot of their fatal flaws and it's really fascinating to see it play out.
0: So in that sense, do you feel like that's kind of a nuanced look at some of the issues like that are relevant to your field in general?
1: I think it is. I think it really is. And I think being able to look at Lena and see her flaws lets you also take an honest look in the mirror. And like as an engineer, look at the flaws I see in, in the field and, you know, look at see what this person who I honestly think would be like one of the best of us. Hmm. in a lot of ways and say no this is this is a person who gets wrapped up in what she could do and forgets if she should <laughs> Nice. Which is a classical
3: sort of science-related moral question, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and they sort of,
0: sort of hinted at that connection between um, what Lena was doing and then what we saw with Grace when um, they introduced her as the world killer. Because I think that was also where that kind of god complex
1: mm-hmm.
0: idea came up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, she mentioned how she is a god, which apt for a surgeon. I'll just <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: Just insert yeah, that there. But I like the fact that Lena, above all, is human—like fallible human or just <laughs> literal <laughs> no, human. No, you no, like that no, she's I- not alien. No, I mean that she is fallible human.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Not that she is a human, because that's probably what (laughs) Lillian admires most about her.
3: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor child.
1: No, that she is a a flawed character who is still trying to do good. Mm
3: -hmm. And what's interesting about Lena is that she's a character you can can see and you want her to succeed and you want her to turn out all right and have everything that she wants, but you're also wary of the decisions that she's making sometimes you look at her and you're like are you sure that's really the best way to do this i think it's because partially
2: because she's learned to operate within you know like only trusting herself so she won't turn to anyone to seek like external validation of like oh maybe is this a good idea because the only person she's ever really had to rely on is her and herself
3: Hmm. and then and lex previously and then that kind of backfired went wrong yeah (laughs) And so she sort of holds herself up in that, um, L corp tower.
1: Yeah. And I saw classmates of mine, like Lena during undergrad, um, It's not an uncommon thing to see people at the Institute who were weighed down by family name, by expectations, who kind of only felt that they had to depend on themselves. And some of them, some of them got lost in themselves and decided that they could only trust themselves and Hmm. didn't learn how to work with other people.
2: But luckily, she has Supergirl. Or Kara.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or
0: does she? She's a little irritated with, with Supergirl right now. It's
2: okay. She's got
0: Kara. I believe. I believe. <laughs> you, you believe in the power of stronger together? I, I do. Kara will eventually wear her down. Eventually. <laughs> what kind of TV show would this be about hope and
2: compassion if she doesn't? Exactly. Yeah, See,
0: we have to hope. Yeah, well, and, you know, and looking at Lena as the product of an abusive home environment, like it, it would be very counter to the message of the show to yeah. not have her have a hopeful
1: storyline. Yeah. And that's the thing is that that's the other that's the other half of the um when I see her and I look in the mirror is I don't want to look in the mirror and realize that, nope, the best I can hope for is to end up a supervillain. That would suck. <laughs> you know what? That's, why do I even try? <laughs> that's um, a
3: very good point. Although we do have other
0: sciences in the show that we do are positive representations. See, but. As I'm looking at our list of the other examples of kind of engineering science in the show, they're almost all guys though.
1: That's true. Yeah, but and I, I mean I just I just waxed poetic for how long about how I thought Lena Luther in a lot of ways could be seen as the best of us from an engineering perspective role model. And then to say that I didn't think that her storyline ever had a happy ending basically means that I feel like I am condemning myself and my entire field to be supervillains
2: it's okay the uh only really known doctor that we know ended up being a world killer with a god complex so you're good you're in good hands
1: (laughs) i mean (laughs) the thing is is that the other obvious engineer we have for a role model was max lord and so Mm. come on give us (laughs) give me something please he's (laughs) elon musk there we go yes
0: (laughs) you had jack Spear who died? Oh, handsome Jack. Uh, oh, it's oh, true. Bless his soul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but he did invent cool robot technology. He did. Ish. <laughs> so, speaking of engineers and negative messages and versus positive messages, what have you? We had an interesting crisis for Win in in the sense of, you know, he was so interested in inventing technology that protected people, that helped people, and then he had that really big crisis of faith because his um Magic belt thing <laughs> didn't he didn't work the way he anticipated it working, and um Damos died, which was unfortunate in itself, in that he's one of the only DEO agents who ever speaks. But I know you know you asked for the image of the the, the <laughs> historical artifact that I think looks like a child's stick figure, and I don't understand <laughs> anything about it. It's a stick figure with a triangle head and boxes for our hands. It's, it's a person holding things. That's that's how I understood <laughs> that it. Drawing. I
1: have such complicated feelings
0: about that drawing. So, um, first of all, are the different shapes actually supposed to
1: like? mean things from like okay. an engineering schematic <laughs>
0: level or is it literally just a stick
1: figure like <laughs> okay so yes i have multiple feelings about this entire thing um and they are complicated so I looked at that and I thought immediately that looks like it wants to be an electrical diagram schematic of some sort. Like some of the shapes are almost common ish. like they're close to certain things. Thing is, I looked at them like, wow, it wants to be that. It has aspirations. It has aspirations, <laughs>
0: but it doesn't quite make it. Yes,
1: because absolutely none of those symbols exist in real life.
0: Uh, triangles
2: exist in real life well I mean
1: as there is no symbol (laughs) that matches like that particular triangle with the line straight through it straight through it in that orientation, like, isn't that a Deathly <laughs> Hollow symbol?
3: We could make it. Let's turn this to Harry Potter,
2: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, so it's, just it's like, magic. That's why.
0: Well, were they trying to make it look kind of like caveman ish? Because the idea is, it's supposed to be like a thousand-year-old artifact.
1: I, to yeah. Orientate. So, when people like props departments and everything for like shows, uh, draw things out and hand over props, and it's like this is supposed to be like super advanced sciencey stuff, and then they show it on the board or whatever, and I look at that and I'm like, you literally drew something out of a high school textbook. It's one of those weird annoyances to me that just always like pet peeves that drive me up the wall. So the fact of the matter is, is that when they hand over this prop that looks like it could be this, but matches absolutely nothing that currently exists. Maybe because he's using alien technology. And it's like, this is from 10,000 years in the future, like uh, a thousand years in the future. I can look at that and say, okay, I can believe that because none of these exist right now, but the kind of vague, you know, conventions of drawing diagrams, these would kind of follow that. Yes, and I could believe that. Where I get annoyed at it... (laughs) is that it's drawn, like, on a napkin and (laughs) has no context elsewhere.
3: Right. Well, it's not necessarily, like, something they came upon and then learned how to use. It's just that they came upon it after it was already integrated into their technology.
1: Right. and It's more of that there's, like, the diagram is useless without context and it's just like a, how do you know, so. Gotcha.
0: So, um, Multiple characters within the show who are well-founded in the biological science really want to know how Jean's powers work, which is something that actually we don't see get talked about all that often, aside from the fact that both Alex and Eliza really needed to know. (laughs) And it was great that they asked very similar questions in, like, the exact same way. (laughs) Uh, It's
3: because they're mom and daughter and they're adorable. (laughs) Also relevant to our previous episode. (laughs)
2: Um, so I think that Alex and Eliza, they kind of, when they think about his powers, they're kind of like, oh, it must be something with your DNA or like some kind of enzyme that affects your DNA. And I mean, there are some ways that you could kind of try to hand wavy explain it together using biology like you could say that oh within like people and bacteria the ways you can get like all your cells have the same core dna but like not everything is the same like your liver is different than your heart and that's just because like in those cells they express different parts of your dna so there's different reading frames maybe if you were to start from line one versus line four you'll get different different things Um, Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be so much changing the DNA, but maybe shifting the reading frame. Um, and you can do that by like turning sections on and off. Like if I were to black out a page so you couldn't read it and then like turn it light again so that you could read it at other times, that could be, it's like epigenetics would be one way you could do that DNA change. Um, and enzymes do actually do that. So both Eliza and Alex's questions are related. The only thing that is a problem with that is that he changes form basically immediately, which doesn't really make sense with that because you would need time for all of those new cells with the new DNA to like form all their little products that make us into who we are. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think everything is dying off at once and instantaneously growing back again because that would mean that John is kind of like
0: shedding a snake skin like immediately, which is a little weird. A little a little bit of an image. That is, well, <laughs> but now that you say that, he can also heal super fast. So I wonder if maybe it's just possible. <laughs>
2: That is true. Um, I mean, you know, I think magic makes the most sense, honestly.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a... We know in this past season, Jean had that vision. It was like a giant head, (laughs) like their god. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's definitely an element of kind of mysticism. Yeah. Um, And maybe that is involved.
2: You can work it in with his mind powers, too. You know, like, since he can, like, read other people's minds, influence other people's minds, rather instead of him actually physically changing shape, if you target, like, areas of visual perception in the brain he can make you see what he
3: wants you to see mm-hmm. although he's also really tall when he's the, the martian. martian form yeah yeah and I, I feel like you go to touch his shoulder and it's like way higher than it's supposed to be
2: he's unlike brainy john shrinks to make people
0: feel more comfortable and brainy grows <laughs> oh brainy speaking of do we want to do we want to give them the the rapid fire questions absolutely oh my god I'm about to be exposed, and it's not to kryptonite. <laughs> All right. So this is just like your impulse answer, and try, it, it doesn't need to be long. Mm-hmm. And either one or both of you, if you have an answer, you can you can give one. Right? Why do the Brainiacs have glowing orbs <laughs> on like on their heads on their heads? Tell us. <laughs> They've got those cells that that light up. Okay. Oh, wait. Is it kind of like that fish from Finding Nemo that lives in the bottom of the ocean?
3: That's what
2: I'm thinking about. But, you know, I know. Yeah, totally. That's that's 100% what it is. Trust me.
0: (laughs) It explains the, like, pale blue look about them. Okay. What has been, in your opinion, the cringiest science moment that you have witnessed? Okay, so this might not be a science
2: moment, but when Alex jumps up and shoots two people and lands directly on her back, (laughs) I was just like, please, please don't do that ever again.
0: Her spine (sighs) is fine. I don't know.
2: I I would like to take you to a hospital and get you a STAT CT
3: scan. Well, she doesn't know because she's not a medical doctor.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the special effects were pretty cool, but when the big wave was coming in and Kara iced it, like, turned it into a big iceberg. shark, Sharknado. (laughs) Yeah. And the water didn't displace anywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, and doesn't ice expand, too? Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) That... That was, that, that made me, that was just like, no, no, it doesn't work like that. Cycles, we were talking about this
0: before we picked, we added them into the call about we should really go back to the, uh, Supergirl hero or menace. Debate from season one with all the like environmental damage that she got.
3: (laughs) See, this is why you have to have other knowledge before you're a superhero because Yeah,
1: there was also the one where um she saved a building that was collapsing by propping it up with one beam in I think it was season two. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That, <laughs> that that you both are like, no. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: the one with Max Lord in season one when he, the person got in a car accident and she lost her powers. Oh, that was just all wrong. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, no. There were some other great ones, but I actually, I might have actually blocked them out. <laughs>
3: Well, they they do so many like random crazy things in this show. Yeah,
1: we usually just pause the recording and just start laughing hysterically. <laughs> pause for laughter. Yes. And then on the other
3: side of that, what was the most like exciting moment for you hearing science in the show?
0: Or seeing it? Or like what's one yeah. like little thing you either really liked or like they got right or it was just really
1: cool? <laughs> you guys had a lot more to say. About. No, What did they get right? Actually, I'm trying to go through all the ones that they got right and pick one. Um, Apparently in medicine, there are none. Because I remember uh, when they had gone through the blue sun one. Oh, right. Um, I got really excited about that one because I actually figured out how that could have worked. And it got back to the optogenetics thing I was talking about earlier.
3: Cool. Which was a departure from the, the comics version. So yeah. I guess they tried to ground it in science a little bit. See, I, there are
2: definitely things that I was like, oh, that sounds right. But I just can't really think of them in the moment. And I'm trying to remember when they were looking under the microscope. Oh, what about or- with the pigeon? The pigeon, right? Like that that kind of stuff. I, I think it was something about like a quarantine of whether or not it could be a viral infection versus a bacterial infection and how such a thing would spread in terms of like avian flu and how it affects one thing and how it can transform to start affecting other things, which I thought was really interesting in terms of like how potentially uh, pestilences like powers would work to cause this kind of blight like um, symptoms in people And I was just thinking that it was plausible in the way that the avian flu definitely initially targets certain things. But then based upon, you know, how that disease can transform the outside of itself, um, it can then be recognized by different animals or humans, per
3: se, um, even though it wasn't able to before. Nice. Could Kara biologically have a kid with a human?
2: Well there have been reports of like Neanderthals and humans mating. I think it would definitely depend on how similar cellular structures are and whether or not they'll match up because in the process of reproduction and fertilization you would kind of need to have a chromosome that can match up with the, I guess in her case would be like the um, sperm chromosome in order to like combine together um, and form a hybrid. So it would it would have to do with genetic relations. So she seems humanoid in all other aspects
3: besides, you know. So maybe flying around and such. Besides that. I mean,
2: Melissa
0: can do that. So it's totally possible, right? <laughs> yes. I'm just trying to picture like Supergirl taking maternity leave like <laughs> what if she was like an elephant and was like pregnant for like 2 years? That would be awful. Oh my God. Or on the opposite since like her metabolism is so much faster, what if she was pregnant for like oh. 5 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I would like that so much better.
3: I would be okay with that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um that's why I, I'm I'm always with that question of whether or not Cara would have kids cuz I, I, I just can't picture her like taking a break
0: like she that. She might have to take off so much. Yeah. I mean, I always like the idea that Jean would help her out though and like impersonate Supergirl if she couldn't do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. although she might just she might just
3: adopt <laughs> they'll have all, all have adopted the adopted children. children
0: so if you had to choose like in the episode where kara fought rain and then she was like critically injured in terms of in terms of having to react to that and make her not die would you prefer to immediately use yellow sun lamps or would you want red sun, sun lamps so that you could do like triagey things first
2: I would do red sun lamps so I could do triagey things first because they intubated her, which means that she wasn't breathing on her own. So they should have actually like immediately started to bag valve mask her to help her breathe, intubated her while I, were they doing CPR on her? I don't think so. I didn't see it. So her circulation was fine. So they put like, I think, and Alex did it and Alex was in the field. They should have done that earlier. Well, her powers were blown out because that's less time without oxygen, which
0: Mm. we need our girl of steel. And her brain needs to function. Her brain needs to function. Maybe that's why she was in the coma for so long.
3: (laughs) 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 Don't make it Alex's fault. It actually wasn't that she had like an emotional... (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) What's the basis for that? That Kara had to go through an emotional arc before she's allowed out of a coma? Is there a biological reason? I'll let you know if I ever have to go
0: into a coma. (laughs) What do people frequently assume about your profession or what's a way they portray it on television that is wrong and you wish they would stop? It doesn't have to be specific to this show, but in general
2: they, I mean, it's the omni-scientist thing. They kind of assume that you like just do everything. And I think that medicine is specialized. So like, honestly, when I watched Grey's Anatomy, throwback to uh, Miss Alexi uh, Grey, <laughs> Kyler's uh, medical training. Yes. They have them like push everyone down to CT. They have them as a surgeon go triage in the emergency department. And I'm like, you wouldn't have time to do all of those things. There's a reason why people have very specific jobs. And that's one of them. Also, the medicine is often little bit hand wavy. I mean, some things that they they get really right. Other things are just kind of like, you wouldn't do that in real life.
0: So when there are discrepancies between what happens in real life and what happens on TV, is some of it for just like purposes of filming? Like it's logistically easier? Is it because it's easier for the audience to understand? Like I think it's for ease
2: of audience understanding. I mean, like a lot of the daily minutia that goes on in a hospital wouldn't really be interesting to watch. Like they look like they're running around and doing stuff all day where about 50% of my time is actually spent at the computer charting. So I mean, you don't want to watch a TV show of
0: me typing. Just imagine we could get like a whole 15 minute scene of Alex doing paperwork in her office. (laughs) Oh Pam! Pam's coming. Maybe Pam from HR is gonna sit down with her and have a chat <laughs> about her new like health benefits or something. I,
1: I just I know I said that mechanical engineers have a tendency of you know we you we could in theory do everything, but the truth of the matter is is that while they start us off kind of with that foundation, we all really quickly find that it's just too broad. And we all really quickly um, find our own niche in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so there are things I, for example, absolutely refuse to touch um, and will run far, far away from. And please do not ask me to even deal with that. Um.
0: (laughs) Is that like how Supergirl's afraid of sharks?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to see... um characters who are like um (laughs) i don't like doing that yeah like like i i would actually like to see people be like uh i i don't know i don't do that or i
2: i think it would be nice for people to sometimes say you know what i don't actually know
3: but let me find you somebody that does yeah like alex goes over to the side
1: and like calls her mom yeah Honestly, it's like somebody asks me, you're a mechanical engineer. Can you explain how this bridge is held up together? Or, you know, why is this building doing this? And I'll be like, "Uh, no, I don't answer that.
0: (laughs) On a similar note... Who would you say so far has been the best science-oriented villain out of any season or related to, like, your discipline? Because we've had Max, we've had the creepy environmental scientist guy who turned into Parasite, Lillian, Rhea, Pestilence...
2: I mean, I gotta go, I gotta go with Pestilence, yeah, you know? Yeah, you do. <laughs> My God Complex Surgeon. I relate to her so much.
3: <laughs> Ooh. Um,
2: I just think she's, uh, she's interesting as a character just because it kind of portrays how much hubris can affect you. I mean, I think there is definitely this idea that as a doctor, you have a lot of power and people kind of give you a lot of respect whether or not they should or not. I mean, you know, which is kind of regular people who happen to have a pretty cool job. Um, but it can really go to your... Head. I mean, luckily, I get called nurse all the time, so you know it doesn't go too much <laughs> luckily, to my head. But cool. because I've definitely been in the room with like just me and my attending were all females, every and then they were just like, "So where's my doctor coming?" And I'm like, "Well, we've all been your doctor the whole time." But thank awkward.
1: you. Very awkward. <laughs> awkward.
0: When is um, Alex going to run into that problem? Ooh.
2: That would be very interesting in terms of like the respect to like com- compare and contrast the respect that she gets as director of the DO versus the respect that John got who is black but also a man. I
0: just And I think, a space alien. And a space alien.
1: For me, the best villain who was also uh, an engineer. Would you say Lillian was an engineerish?
0: I don't know. I mean, she did. Like a
1: biological engineer? Wasn't she a
0: doctor?
2: (laughs) She was a doctor. Oh, shoot. Oh, I've got really awful representation on the show. Oh,
0: no. I was like, well, she was hacking people up and, like, (laughs) Frankensteining them. She did some heart surgery.
1: The only engineering one was more Max or Toy Man. Oh, True. Oh, yeah. I guess I would take Max over toy man but I really did like Lillian more than Max because well Lillian has style
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true she does have some a certain <laughs> flair to her well in terms of positive dr Rep, we had we had Eliza it's true we had Eliza, Eliza Eliza did fix the medusa virus you do have
3: science mom <laughs> we have we have scientists who fix all of the <laughs> science villains
0: problems. I think Eliza fixes everyone's problems. (laughs) Whether they're related to science or not.
3: (laughs) So, you're an employee at the DEO, which is frequently attacked by villains of the week. Wynn is gone, Brainy doesn't understand 21st century tech, and you've been tasked by Alex to protect your fellow agents. What kind of non-lethal tech would you create? And this could be potentially a
0: biological weapon, I guess. I was
2: just going to excuse myself from the conversation. You just pulled me right back (laughs) in. I'll just tell everyone to start coughing and be like, I'm really infectious. Like, draw some, like, (laughs) dots on their faces, like they've got the measles. Cause no one's
3: vaccinated <laughs> anymore, so just stay away. Your techic- technique is to scare them away. Or, or no, no,
1: no. Yeah. We, could, we could go entirely like War of the Worlds style and just have everybody get the common cold.
3: So far, you you want to make your your fellow agents
1: sick, <laughs>
3: well, not actually sick, just
2: pretend. You make other
1: people think they're sick. Yes, I think the real answer would probably be to work more on like the shielding would be an interesting thing to do since that seems to be the furthest along in the tech that they already have, and that kind of just needs to be a little bit more perfected and has a lot more uses in a lot of ways for non-lethal tech because honestly if they can't hit you all you have to do essentially long enough is kind of just stand there and then they'll tire themselves out
0: so taking the apex predator approach
1: yes um (laughs) it just
2: reminds me of like you know when someone puts their hand on someone's head and they just keep swinging yeah
1: it's the older it, it is perfectly alex you can't tell me alex wouldn't do that to Kara if it if it would work Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All right.
0: So we've seen Kara rescue more than one airplane. So if we had to have the best Legends crossover ever, would Kara also be able to save, let's say, the Titanic? Yes,
2: because I believe in her.
0: <laughs> Correct. Why would I bet against Kara? I mean. As long as there's no sharks. <laughs> okay. But how would, how would she do it? Would she solder the ship back together? Would she like double fist it and just like hold it? Double fisting sounds funnier, so double fisting. I mean, fist it. it broke in half. <laughs> oh, but true, it didn't break until after it started sinking.
1: Yeah, so. She'll just
0: pick them all up and put them, they can stand on she'll the She'll just carry all the people and hold them in her strong arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh Suddenly, my god, I wish I were on the Titanic. Can I be on the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so to get back to kind of looking at the the professions that some of these characters have particularly the female characters who are in kind of stem areas and to kind of get a sense of more like the emotional and the cultural context of it you guys have have brought this up in, in different contexts sometimes, talking about this idea of imposter syndrome and how specifically it's something that a lot of women in um, like male-dominated fields tend to experience. So do you want to explain kind of what that is and maybe have we seen any elements of it in any of the female characters in the show? Is it, is it there in the subtext? Like, et cetera.
2: I mean, I think it, it's 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 obviously a very real thing. And I mean it's not only a female thing, it's a male thing, but I think there is obviously sometimes as a female in a field where there are more men there's always the fact that, you know, I get called nurse quite often and people can kind of question my credentials. You feel the need to prove yourself more than other people might. And then there's always the idea of like, okay, well, am I doing a good job? Why did they pick me? Did they pick me to get their numbers up? Um, you know, like everyone looks at at diversity these days and they're saying like, there's there's not enough women in this, this residency program. Um, do I get Get any favor because they're trying to increase their numbers of females, or is it because, you know, I'm actually qualified for it? The, the idea of not feeling quite good enough is kind of pervasive in medicine, and I think it's actually partially due to the way that they train you, and it's semi on purpose. Like, I think they always make you feel a little bit less than you are, just even in our training. So I think it, there's parts of that that I definitely see. And I kind of see that in Alex a little bit too. Like, she has to be the best in order to feel
1: adequate, which is kind of a shame because she's awesome the way that she is. I've seen it so many times in so many women in STEM. And I actually included like myself in this. And I mean, the easiest way to succinctly describe imposter syndrome is the belief that you have to basically be well, twice as hard to be seen as half as good. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of ways is like you you always end up second guessing did I earn it? Did I earn this? And it's so easy to fall in in any male dominated field. When I went to school I had classes where I was one of three women. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: That's interesting because I had that in um, national security also.
1: Yeah. Or I had classes where I had the guys be like, oh you don't have to worry about getting this part made. All you have to do is smile at the shop, the older shop men, and they'll totally make the part for you. Like, you'll just get it because you're a woman. So you're constantly wondering if I earned this. And so when that's basically the background radiation for years, you it sinks it, and you see it, and you see it in real life, and it's in big names in real life as well. But then, in terms of the show, yeah, I, I absolutely see it in Alex, and it's not just in the subtext. It's, I mean, really early on in season one, Alex literally asks John, "Oh yeah, is Kara the only reason I'm here?" And the saddest part about that is that she went most of that episode thinking that the answer to that question was yes. (laughs) Um, What about
0: Lena at all? Or no? Because she does still have that kind of need to prove herself, but it's hard to decide how much of it is coming from...
1: Lena has has that, bits of that, definitely. um, The imposter syndrome, but there's a bit of it that's also, like, more self-confidence because she's wrapped her identity up in the I am a Luther thing. She doesn't question on if she earned something she she knows she's good at what she does the interesting thing for her though is how i think society views her because what i've noticed and i'm actually a little surprised that i've not actually seen anybody really talk about this is Lena has kind of fallen into what people um, call the glass cliff, which is a kind of a phenomenon in which during times of turmoil and upheaval in a company, that's when you put a woman in charge. Mm. So that basically during the hardest parts of a company, so that if they fail, oh, it's because the woman was in charge. Obviously, yeah. she couldn't do it. Interesting, And, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that you set her up in an impossible situation.
0: So then looking at kind of how both of you talked about that, what does it mean then to see these women in these roles – on, you know, a superhero show where they're very much empowered and it's part of the conversation. It influences the plot, it affects the other characters, and so forth. I
1: think the important thing in both of the cases of Alex and Lena is that they're successful in what they do. And the narrative treats them as successful and celebrates them as successful in their professional lives which is astoundingly important because it's a validation that they belong there that is saying that in alex's case despite what her brain is saying that how much she thinks that she might not belong there because she doesn't know if she deserves it um and then for lena Despite what society might think if she deserves it to be there, in both cases, the narrative is saying that they belong there. And that is an exceedingly powerful thing to say to an audience of the impressionable young people that Supergirl is really aimed at. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I think, I mean, I agree with that. I think also I what I really really appreciate about the show is that they celebrate characteristics that aren't typically seen as strong characteristics like Kara's empathy and compassion are seen as great strengths of hers that she's able to use to solve problems and I think especially sometimes in medicine and in other fields where you know you might not have that like characteristic trait that is, is typically associated with being good at your job like I'm not particularly an imposing figure and I'm not super commanding or those kinds of things. But there has been actual studies that have shown too and it's reflected in this show that female doctors tend to get better outcomes from their patients because they tend to be more compassionate and more empathetic and kind of seeing how that represented on television like that those are real strengths and you can really use that to be a good doctor. You know, sometimes it makes me feel more comfortable because I might not know everything and I might not be the best at this and I might not be the best at hands-on things, but hopefully I can make someone feel a little bit better just by kind of being there for them. um, That
0: to me is really important. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and chatting with us today. It's been really fascinating and I've learned things.
3: I've also learned things. Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having us.
3: And thank you for listening to our discussion on the science of Supergirl. And we'll be back in a couple weeks to discuss the topic of faith in season three.